Welcome to Sexplicit, a podcast which offers free, quality and up-to-date sexuality education. In this podcast series, we will be talking about sex and sexuality explicitly. No topic is too taboo and no question is inappropriate. This is a safe and educational space to explore your deepest curiosities. My name is Anissa Varaste. I'm a clinical sexologist and this is Sexplicit. Welcome to another episode of Sexplicit. One of the topics that I often hear about in my therapy room and support clients with is intimacy after sexual assault. In this episode, I'm going to talk about how partners can take steps towards reconnecting with each other emotionally and sexually. But please note that the content of this episode and this podcast in general does not substitute individual therapy. So if you have a history of sexual trauma and you're struggling in any areas of your life, please reach out to a qualified therapist. The other thing I would like to highlight is that unfortunately sexual assault is a gender-based violence. It means the majority of victims and survivors of sexual assault are women and non-male genders. Having said that, we know that sexual assault can happen to men as well. So all the content that I'm going to share with you today is applicable to anyone regardless of their gender and the gender of their partner. One of the main challenges that I have seen people face after an incident of sexual assault is intimacy and physical touch. This means that someone who had a positive relationship with their partner prior to sexual trauma, they may find it extremely difficult to feel any pleasure and at times even feel safe enough to have any kind of physical or sexual connection. This can of course be a source of great disappointment and frustration for both or all partners. And sometimes partners are hesitant to approach the topic out of fear of triggering the person or making them feel pressured. And because it's not being addressed, it can get to a point that it can create further gaps in the relationship. Before I start talking about the impact of sexual assault on intimate relationships and some strategies to address the challenges, I would like to let you know that people with a history of sexual trauma can and do have fulfilling sex lives. So if you are in a point in your life or relationship that it feels very dark or you feel stuck or you feel that this is never going to end, I'd like to let you know that there is hope that people do recover from trauma and can enjoy fulfilling lives and relationships again. Okay, here are some symptoms that survivors of sexual assault can experience. Survivors tend to go in one of these two directions. For a lot of people, sex or any type of sexual contact becomes a no-go area or an activity that causes a lot of anxiety and fear for them. And of course, our body's natural response to a painful experience is not to go near it and avoid any situation that may lead to it. 
So people tend to avoid any type of physical touch out of fear that this may lead to intercourse or sex. And obviously, I don't want to go there because I know what it feels like. Therefore, they avoid any situation that can lead to physical intimacy. I had a client who had been sexually assaulted by their father when they were young. And now they live with a partner and a housemate. And every time the housemate would leave the house, their partner would get super excited and would want to initiate sex. And this person would withdraw completely and even have panic attacks. And this reaction left the partner feel very confused, disappointed and very frustrated. But in one of our sessions, this person explained that the sexual assault in their childhood happened when everyone left the house. And so this was a massive trigger for them and made them feel very unsafe, although the partner is a safe person. In a context of a relationship, this can be very difficult as partners want to come back to a sense of connection and intimacy, but they may not know how to go about doing that. The flip side of this is sometimes survivors re-engage with sex again, but they disengage from their bodies and feel disconnected. They almost feel numb emotionally and or physically. So behaviorally, they're having sex, but they're really not connected in the moment. It's a different kind of avoidance in that sense. Although I mentioned that there are two main ways that people react post-sexual assault, I just want to highlight that there are a range of responses and feelings after an assault, and none of them is more accurate. Sometimes people don't experience the assault as trauma, and this does not make what happened okay or less serious. So any emotion you're experiencing is valid including confusion or even pleasure at times. Generally, when we talk about trauma, we need to consider that trauma is a subjective experience. Two people may go through the same event and one may develop PTSD and one may not. This does not say anything about the person's character or if one was stronger than the other one. There are a multitude of factors that can impact the way we process trauma, including our internal and external resources at the time. Any history of past trauma, the level of care that we received as babies and children, and many, many more factors. So in the case that someone becomes hypersexual after sexual assault, it may be because they valued sex before the assault and they want to reclaim their life back. So there is a sense of empowerment in engaging with multiple partners sexually. One thing to consider is that you want to be careful about the safety measure and the risks involved. You may find yourself taking part in risk-taking activities. If that's the case, make sure that your decisions are risk-aware rather than reactive. So the increase in sexual desire is something to discuss and process and enjoy rather than to discourage. Partners are key players in all of this. 
they are the primary person or people who have a lot of emotional and face-to-face contact with the survivor. And they are the ones whose help and support can be significantly influential. And understandably, oftentimes, they don't know what to do. And they have a lot of questions. Sometimes partners want to ask lots of questions to make sense of the situation. And the other person may not be in a space to be able to talk about what happened. Because they may find it triggering and re-traumatizing. And sometimes partners have a hands-off approach and not want to talk about it at all. So there are a lot of factors that influence how partners move beyond sexual trauma as well. I had a couple in the past that the assault happened when they were in a relationship and their partner had a great sense of guilt and self-blame for not being there to help and stop the assault. So there are a whole lot of emotions for partners to process and lots of questions about how to manage their relationship and intimacy after such trauma. Sometimes sexual assault has happened in a previous relationship by an ex-partner and the person may have been okay for quite some time and then after a while in a new relationship they feel triggered. They may have flashbacks, nightmares, distressing emotions. This is also very common, especially if the person if the person did not have the opportunity to process what happened and to integrate the trauma. This is probably the most common scenario that I see with my clients. And it can be very confusing for both people because the current relationship is great. There is trust and respect, but the survivor experiences similar feelings as if the assault is happening at this very moment or is about to happen again. So some of the things partners can do to help a survivor of sexual assault is firstly compassion and patience. Recovery is a journey and it takes time. And most importantly, it's not a linear process. Sometimes you may feel things are back to normal and then again there are days that your partner doesn't want you to touch them or be physically close to them. One golden rule to remember when supporting someone who has experienced trauma is a sense of predictability and control can be very healing and very helpful. In trauma, there is no predictability and it feels out of control. So small things like opening your arms for a hug and allowing your partner to come to you rather than approaching them from behind and wrapping your arms around them can give many people a sense of safety and predictability. Or having a conversation about them initiating any physical touch rather than you initiating it. Initially, these little steps can be very helpful. The caveat there is that every person is different And there is no one recipe to what you can do. The key is to have conversations and find out what your partner is comfortable with and what they absolutely don't like. And what is a maybe? 
And then with the maybes, you can have conversations about what would make it a yes and what would make it a no. And it's also about paying attention and constantly reassessing your partner's nonverbal communication as well. So if you see that there is a far-off look on your partner's face, just stop whatever you're doing and check in with them. Are you okay? And then you can take a step back to do where there was comfort. So as a partner, you have a lot of opportunities to help your loved one, to be the secure base, to help them understand that an assault is never the fault of the victim, regardless of the circumstances. No one asks to be raped or sexually assaulted. Often as partners, we just want to problem solve and we want to fix it for our loved one. And sometimes in situations like this, there is no one simple solution. We just need to learn to sit with some uncomfortable feelings sometimes. So if you and your partner are struggling, please do reach out and see a qualified therapist. Feeling overwhelmed is a very common experience after trauma for both the survivor and their loved ones. Be gentle with yourself and know that it can change and it doesn't always have to stay like this. Another thing that can happen after sexual assault is feelings of self-blame or blaming the survivor. If I hadn't gone there... If I'd only had a few less drinks, or if she hadn't flirted with him. Unfortunately, these are common responses. But again, sexual assault is not the fault of the survivor, but the perpetrator. The rape and the assault didn't happen because the person was wearing certain clothes or walking home alone. Sexual assault and rape happen because a person rapes the other person. It's 100% the fault and the responsibility of the perpetrator. And sometimes as a therapist, I spend time with couples and partners, or sometimes individually, to help them understand that, for example, the sexual assault wasn't infidelity covered up by a rape allegation. So if you find yourself ruminating on these sort of thoughts or blaming your partner or blaming yourself about what happened, pause, take a step back and know that these thoughts and responses are common but not helpful and they are just thoughts. Now if you're in a place that you can't talk about it or you're finding yourself blaming yourself or blaming your partner constantly, I think it's a good idea to see a qualified therapist and seek support through this phase. But if you are in a place that you can talk to your partner about your feelings and your needs and you are willing to resume intimacy, then there are some steps you can take. If you're not there yet, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. You can get there with support. So the first suggestion is to take intercourse or any type of penetrative sex off the table. When I see people face-to-face, I tell them, at least until next time. But for now, I suggest at least for a month. 
For some people, this small step can be a huge way forward because as I said, when you are in emotional or physical pain when you have sex, then you try to avoid any situation that would lead to it. So knowing that there is no intercourse can be a huge relief. But continue to explore ways to enjoy physical and sexual pleasure. Sometimes this step is too much for some people, and so you can take a step back and take any sort of genital touch off the table for a few weeks. But try to get physically intimate in other ways. Some of the things that people like to try are giving each other a massage, touching one another's face, shoulders, chest, or other body parts that feel safe and nice, soothing and pleasurable. Extended kissing is another one that a lot of people avoid but feel comfortable to do so when they know that there is no expectation to have sex after it or that it won't lead to sex necessarily. So get creative. Experiment with different strokes, temperature, textures. You can even just talk about desires and fantasies without any sort of touch. So start where there is comfort and you will see that usually little by little it will get easier. Another way you can do this is with a traffic light model. So the survivor can say which activities they're comfortable with. So these are green activities. Which ones may be pushing them to their limits a little bit. So they're yellow. And which ones are no-go. So they're red. And you can use these words when you're having sex or any sort of physical interaction. So if one person says yellow, the other person understands that their partner is getting close to their limit and they need to pause or go a step back where there was comfort. And red means stop or something is going wrong. So you need to completely stop and check in and see what's going on. This helps facilitate communication and it can help the survivor feel in control. These intimate activities can help maintain a level of intimacy and connection in the relationship. But if the survivor is in a place that they can't do any of the above, then I highly recommend seeing a sex therapist who is trained in treating trauma or a mental health practitioner or counsellor who has a special interest in or um, they've had training in sexuality therapy. They need to go hand in hand. And don't assume that all therapists can do both of these aspects. Have a chat with them, read their profiles, have a look at their website and see if they are skilled in addressing sexual trauma and intimacy-related issues. One of the other challenges that partners face in such situations is that the partner wants to be mindful of their loved one who has experienced sexual assault. So they don't want to push their partner into sex when they're not ready for it. But at the same time, as a sexual being, they are struggling with sexual frustration and don't know what to do if they are in a monogamous relationship. So this is a type of conversation that you can have with the support of a therapist 
or if you both feel comfortable and confident, approach it with honesty, compassion and curiosity and talk about it with one another. One of the ways to navigate the challenges of not being able to have partnered sex is with solo sex or self-pleasure or masturbation. Self-pleasure can be a safe and healthy way of enjoying the benefits of sexual pleasure. So this could be a solo activity or it could be in the presence of your partner, depending on your comfort level and needs. I think the most important thing when dealing with the aftermaths of sexual assault is fostering an environment of compassion and safety for both or all partners. It can be a very difficult situation. The survivor obviously didn't ask to be assaulted. The partner didn't ask for their sex life and relationship to be interrupted. So they both or all have to make necessary adjustments to get back on track. Okay, so this is the end of today's episode. I hope the information was helpful to those of you who are facing similar challenges. If you are looking for a therapist, my team and I at Relate Sexology would be more than happy to support you. We provide our therapeutic services online, so you can access our services from anywhere around the world. All of our therapists have experience in working with trauma as well as sexuality-related issues. If you want to learn more about our team, head to RelateSexology.com. Once again, thank you for your comments and sending your questions to me. You can submit your anonymous questions on RelateSexology.com in the podcast section. I will also leave the link in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you and your curious questions. Do join me again for the next episode. Until then, it's goodbye for now.